Hi there, my name is Corey Dundon. And I'm Michelle Maunder. And you are listening to Spirited Conversations, engaging and elevating pediatric occupational therapists. A joint collaboration between SEED, Pediatric Services and Developmental FX. Each week you'll hear from myself and Michelle as we nerd out with Tracy Stackhouse. Just a note before we start, Spirited Conversations is for informational purposes only. With that, let's jump in to today's episode. Hello everyone. Episode 10, here we are. How exciting. We talked last week a little bit more into the social piece and I had a question about how much do I push children and how much do I allow and we were talking about balance and who leads the interaction and who follows and how we go about that and I think at the end we started to work towards how executive functions play into um, our social capacities. So we haven't yet finished with the social box, um, but we're starting to want to work you all around this amazing spirit model. And so we were talking about the executive functions and it brought up a case that I've been working with and um, I went and got permission to talk about, which is fantastic. So there's so many special things about this. One is that Michelle and I have actually both worked with this child. I'm working with him currently and Michelle worked with him a number of years ago. And so I just felt like he really demonstrated for me this linking of the networks between the social, emotional capacities and the unfolding of our executive functions. Um, And I know that's a bit of a gap in my knowledge around the executive functions just, I guess it's because so often uh, I feel like I'm working on regulation and, and modulation and and lower level social emotional capacities that it's almost like I never get this um, really clear example of here are the executive functions shining in your face. And so it's like, great, this is a great opportunity for me to refine some of that knowledge. Um, And hopefully everyone can share in that experience with us as we talk about this today. But in terms of the case today, um, my little friend is a 10-year-old, roughly 10, little boy with ASD and ADHD. Just to give you guys a little bit of context around picturing somebody, because I'm sure there's probably people on people have children with those similar sorts of diagnoses on their caseload. And of course they're all different, but it can help you sort of lay it onto something that feels familiar to you. So yeah, he's been coming to see me for about, it's probably coming towards six months now. We've had some interruptions in that, but he's just been a joy. (laughs) It's been really fun. He's He's really socially motivated. He really wants to connect and interact, but he's also delightfully distractible. (laughs) And I I say delightfully for me because I can attune to him one-on-one and, you know, I, I can bring him back and contain him a little bit. Although that's been a process in itself, just learning how to, to do that for him. But yeah, he, I'm sure out, out and about, would look a little more probably impulsive and have a little harder time coming back to. Um, he he tends to really want to interact socially. And I think, this is my guess, is that in those moments, he kind of comes to a familiarity thing that something's familiar to him, which is asking questions about specific things. And he'll ask the same questions 
to each person he meets. And it's kind of, it's a little repetitive. What would you say, Michelle? Yeah, it's kind of like um, not always particularly I want to know the answer. Although I met, and sometimes he probably does want to know the answer. And I can sometimes see, feel that difference in sessions where he'll ask those repetitive questions. And if I give him an answer, he's actually tuned in and listening. And other times he's not actually, it's just like, oh, I'm just going back to my familiar thing. So he, he tends to do that out and about, but in my sessions, that's dropped off a lot, like a lot. I get it way, way, way less frequently now. And it's a lot more attuned and appropriate question asking to the context. So that's the other thing is that the questions are often completely irrelevant to what's happening in the moment. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at Michelle and like nodding at Michelle. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess we can talk more about what I've been doing lately, but maybe I don't know, Michelle, whether you want to add anything from context prior about where where you guys were at when you were seeing him or like if I've missed anything that you think is really helpful for people to know. I mean, posturally, he's not very stable, but I haven't been working on that. So we probably won't talk about that today. Well, I mean, you know, I haven't been like, mm. um, when I say I haven't been working on that, I mean, like I haven't been doing set procedural activities that work on postural development. <laughs> Hasn't been the priority of sessions. But yeah, I mean, is there anything else that you think is helpful to get a picture of our little friend? Uh, that's a great little description of him. When I was working with him some years ago, I guess an example of he would come into the building, which was an old Federation uh, wooden floorboard home, and he would walk in, fling the door open. Hi, Michelle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry if that's too loud. Yeah, no, but that's really appropriate. Really loud. (laughs) And he would stomp his feet a number Mm. of times on the floor um, and then walk down the hall, really interested in the echoing of the hall and that I was like um, really being surprised about how loud he was and he (laughs) delighted in how you know, cheeky, I would give him big affect to be like, oh, that's so noisy. You're so noisy, but you're so happy to be here. And let's yeah. go in. We go into the room and it was just this looking and wondering at all the opportunities. And within um, maybe a two-minute window, he might have asked seven questions yeah. and had four different play ideas and he, wherever his eyes went, his body moved towards um, – so I guess I'm just painting a picture really yes. of how yes. how he looked and moved, but it had this really beautiful, um, the thing that stuck out to me, I guess, he was so socially motivated to be with. He loved big affect. He loved cheekiness, particularly if you added some drama, mm. um, but that when he was in spaces that were less con- Tained, I guess, for him. So even out of the hallway into the clinic, he just um, got lost in the room, oh, totally. in in the ideas. And sometimes he wouldn't finish a sentence because his eyes would catch a new thing mm-hmm. and he'd, he'd have a new idea. Yes. So I, how, does that yeah. paint a picture oh. of how he presented? Totally. And and like it's just like I'm like, yes. Because even now, even though he's made such beautiful progress, he'll come in 
each week looking like that, although it's less intense, I'm, mm. I think, um, than it has been in the past. But he will still come in into sessions and it's just like it it feels like chaos a little bit in that it's like oh I need to go do this and oh we're gonna play this and then oh no we need, are we, we're gonna put the music on no we'll get this oh wait mom say goodbye to me no push me but give me a boost on the swing this one no I don't want to take my shoes off like even because we have a routine of coming in and you take your shoes off and you take your socks off and you then you can get on the mats and I mean he's done that for I don't know how many years that he's been part of seed and that's a routine that always happens but continually it gets missed like I always have to go oh wait (laughs) wait hold on we're missing something look you know and then I have to sort of reorient him to do that and it can take us like a minute or two to get back to off the mats to then sit Mm. to then take off shoes to then yeah so just in that transition it's it still looks a little like Mm, that. that that environment yeah um yeah still uh it's and partly probably you're like you said it's partly excitement Mm. because he's super excited Mm. to be there and to come into his sessions because he absolutely loves it and so yeah it's partly to do with that but it's just a real I don't it's very satisfying because um he comes in looking like that and he leaves looking very different so for me as a therapist it's like Oh, that was like a clear change from start to finish, um, which is why I think I've had so much fun working with him. Mm. But yeah, Michelle, that's a really good picture to paint, I think, Mm. particularly around the, like when I said um, distractible, that's what it looks like. It's Mm. just uh, quickly moving from sort of thing to thing and whatever kind of comes up in the moment is just kind of becomes the new thing, Mm. really. But he just has this strong, strong, strong um, social motivation to be with that he comes and goes from because eventually he'll turn around and be really pulling, like noticing me and pulling me in, which is a different flavour to I see with other kiddos who can come in but don't um, come with such interest and true embodied um, motivation to be with me um, and to connect and to connect um, and sometimes that can be can you do the can you push me but mostly it's really a much more um, uh, true be with experience rather than a transactionary pop this up for me do this for yes me. totally it, um, he yeah. you can get the sense that he really likes to be in relationship, relationship yeah. with other people yeah um and so I guess that kind of gives everyone a little bit of a picture of who we're talking about and just, I guess, a little bit of the journey that we, we can talk about today. It might be helpful, although Tracy, you let us know because you're our <laughs> external checker in this moment because we don't know what people don't know. But it, it might be helpful for people to know what I'm currently doing yeah. or... Um, I think it would be helpful because here, here's where, what I'm thinking is that all of us in pedi- the pediatric therapy world have had these beautiful kiddos that are so reminiscent of the description you've given of somebody who 
is just so captivating and fun and enjoyable to be with, but also this level of chaos that they're living in moment to moment <laughs> and how challenging that can be. And it brings up for me, you know, we, we have kids on our caseload that are like this. And for one family, their goals and the reason that they seek out intervention could be because living with somebody who doesn't really have a stop signal inside of them is so exhausting, mm-hmm. but they find the beauty and the, and cherish those, the on signal. Um, and so for one family, it could be very focused on, could you just help us understand how to help this child find a pace and a stop and a start that matches our family or that matches the school demands? For another family, it could really be a lot more about how unsettling it is to be with somebody whose nervous system is sort of on on go all the time. And sometimes that's not a great match for a particular family or a school again. And for another family, it could be more around kind of thinking about long term, how do I help this child to get organized enough that they'll have friendships and independence and be able to accomplish the things of life. And... For other families, it can be a bigger worry than that, because even though this guy is super socially motivated, he isn't necessarily managing working with others, working with distractions, working with multiple demands. And those are the things of adult life that that some parents can start to be like, oh my goodness, he's 10 already and he's still not um, catching traction on some of these things that allow us to be really fully adaptive. So I just gave a list of the different, you know, kind of perspectives of where these kinds of challenges can start to drive to receive intervention. So I'm wondering a little bit more about that, just the referral source, the pediatrician and the um, family's perspective and what the kind of reasons for coming to OT were in the first place, because um, it's curious to me to, to think about that with you guys. Well, interest, interestingly, like because I'm not his first OT at Seed, it wasn't a specific um, something's like going on, we need to come back to OT. He's been linked in this in, um, his, the entire time, right, Michelle, with, mm. with a couple of our, like a couple of us, so Michelle and me and Sarah, but he's come to me without a specific... Um, referral we just have a model of treatment where kids take a break and then they come back from their break and because of the ways that our timetabling worked he ended up coming onto my caseload and so there was no specific new element that kind of drove that but Michelle probably has a bit more of a sense of the initial Mm. um, reasons that he came into therapy but he's like I guess it's changed so much in in terms mm. of over the years as to where the priorities are, and I, I'm sure, Tracy, that many of the things that you said probably resonate with the family at different points in their journey. I, I'm sure that those different things that you were talking about probably resonated at different times, and maybe even off across the day, like mm. <laughs> you know. Um, but I I totally think that there's they like my sense of things is that they totally delight in the the onness like that his his moments of 
being on and the way that he kind of interacts and all of that stuff they I feel like they get a a really true sense of joy out of those moments but I'm sure that in the same vein those times of not having to stop is really exhausting um so that that's my current sense of 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 where things are at and also then wanting to do that move towards well helping you connect in a more robust way that allows you to actually stay with be with work together like I feel like Mm. those are the like really important things that they would love to be able to see more of um but yeah I don't know if you have any earlier context which I'll initially early on we joined with the family and there wasn't diagnosis um and so they have been on a long journey uh this little delight is the third child there's lots of support with aunties and uncles and grandparents um and they're a really socially active um and involved family in the community so um this little fellow's strengths really are a match for the immediate family as well as the broader um extended family and community they live in so they absolutely delight and share um, with lots of cousins his um, interest in people and being involved and following all the sports and his particular interest that he has Uh, I think over the time as he's moved into school um, and and was getting ready to school some of that focus on activities of daily living how we going to keep him you know the Parents both work. Um, older kids needed to get to school on time. Um, so it was like, how do we select a school? How do we, um, they wanted for him to go where his siblings went, but that ultimately they d- weren't able to do that. Um, so how do we get, you know, some ADLs? How do we get him um, dressed in a rhythm and, um, and eating that wasn't really pulling the family into chaos just to get out the door. So there were certainly some practical issues when he went to school. There was similar. It was like, oh, how are we going to support him in a mainstream school? So there's always been a practical nature. Mm. I think as a mum myself, we're always wondering about, oh, the future yeah. and <laughs> how's that going to look? I think this family... Um, with all their children and as we do, trust that everything will be okay, that um, this boy will be supported, he'll find his place and it'll involve lots of people who love him around him. So I think, um, sorry, I'm getting yeah. emotional. <laughs> just because you're so, you, it's just the joy and the delight that we have in working with these yeah, families. So I think it's it? the dance in and out. Yeah. That there's some, he's got lots of strengths that's really matching the family. Um, the people around him support him and that over time when he's in different contexts, you know, it's like, oh, goodness, yeah. we've got to work on, you know, sitting still in circle time. But, you know, that's the immediate yeah. issue. But the flavour is is that he'll be okay and yeah. so will they. Yeah. I love that you get emotional. <laughs> it's because you care so much. You're so, it's a beautiful match. Yeah. Like, it's not lost to me how tricky the day-to-day is. <laughs> yeah, but I totally. think it's a, it's a really good match. Totally. And he, and he is a delight. Yeah. Um, Michelle, your empathy and your connection are just so very valuable. And I think for every one of us, we, we kind of have to walk that line of, um, you know, empathy and connection and co-occupation and relating so deeply to the real human story 
that is true for every one of the kids and families that we're working with. And really, it touches into you, you use that idea of a dance, both of you kind of talk about that dance of kind of the flow of that and the emotion of that. And, and you know, that's just all so very real and caring is kind of the reason that we do this work to begin with, and it fuels us. Um, and we're going to be touched and we're going to feel it. And I think we should, and we should embrace that and, and know that, um, you know, one of the struggles that we have as clinicians is to sort of be in the present moment, but we're also as OTs, we're so goal focused that sometimes we're thinking about the future and that can also be like a thing we're holding. So the combination of that, I think, inevitably sometimes leads to us having some, you know, kind of experiences, uh, emotional, deep emotional, ranging emotional experiences. And that's good. That's all good stuff. There's also, I think, though, a reflection of sometimes the struggle because sometimes when families have a lot of resources, a lot of community support, family support, all these layers and and sort of lots of things are possible. And yet this little guy is struggling Mm. and he's struggling in the way that, you know, he's had these layers of diagnoses added over the years where this is tricky for him and then let's unearth that and then you know, it, it adds on. And sometimes when we have kids that have multiple layers of diagnoses, it's just a reflection of the multiple levels of complexity. And I think from a clinical reasoning standpoint, when we're trying to address this in therapy, complexity can sort of make us say, well, what should I be focused on here? You know, should I be, you know, really addressing um, his needs from one perspective or another. And those perspectives, especially around this regulatory function, this broader, big regulation issue, it's complicated on the spirit form. It shows up, the concept of regulation shows up in a really formal way in three different big of, you know, functions. And that's really a reflection of how much of our whole nervous system and our, um, is really involved in in the processes related to how how does somebody come to be organized and come to into that full capacity and so for somebody who's living in a lot of chaos it can show up in our clinical world and we can we can feel that chaos and we can have a hard time saying what should i be you know, kind of connecting into here as the kind of cornerstones. So for me, the spirit tool is really good at helping us in our clinical reasoning to connect to those key capacities that we need to build. And it, it really clarifies the focus of treatment. So I think it'll be really fun to think about this guy from that perspective. Yeah, beautiful. I'm really excited to explore all of this further. So I hope we've given everyone listening a good sense of what our little friend looks like and how he is in the world and where the family's coming from. Um, And now I think it'd probably be helpful just to give current context of what I'm, what I've been doing in sessions. Then we can together hopefully unpack that a little bit more so we can reflect on these functions. So I... 
I came to my little friend with fresh eyes. Um, I tried not to have too much of a picture of how I expected him to be. I just wanted to meet him where he was at. And so the first session is 100% um, Michelle's description, really, really appropriate. Um, But I, and I guess, you know, sometimes when you have older kids, you feel a bit funny doing things like singing songs and um, because you think, oh, they're probably a bit too old for that. But he, he just wanted me to go there. I think even in that first session, he wanted to um, sing nursery rhymes. So I was like, all right, let's sing nursery rhymes. And it was in that moment that I had the most regulated connection in that first session. So there was a lot of impulsive shifting of ideas, moving between things. And so once I sort of got that little moment I was like oh okay I I see your jam I need to go there and I need to be willing to go there because that just works for your nervous system and works for you so so let's just deconstruct just a little bit about what that means like because I think that that's really important for a little nervous system that's struggling in chaos um predictability rhythm familiarity um, are really cornerstones and doing it with human voice. So our, our sense of connection, uh, that kind of comes from predictable rhythm is a very early skill. And it's, it's actually how one of the threads of these higher level capacities really develop out of. And so when you are connecting in and helping him to find that, this kind of place of just sharing a song that we both know and that we can kind of get into the rhythm of it, but then you can enhance that um, shared experience. And so talk a little bit more about how both the social sharing and the sensory qualities of rhythm and also just the predictability nature might have been a part of that formula for him. In terms of when I first stumbled across mm-hmm. it or as we've... So um, I I guess I'm trying to remember exactly how it happened. I think it was um, a, a book. So he had just decided, let's read a book and had gone out of the room and gone to the little book crate that we have in the waiting room. And I was like, okay, like, come on, like, let's try and see if we can get him back in the room. But I was like, all right let's see where this goes as well. Cause I'm, I'm willing to go there with kids sometimes is just to see, okay, what, see what happens see if I can get something out of this. And so when he looked through the books, he, he picked the book that was a nursery rhyme book. And so I was like, Oh great. Like let's, let's do that. Sure. Cause he wanted to do that. And I said, okay. And so I, we, we took it back into the room and I ended up putting up, the rainbow actually the lycra rainbow we call it the rainbow and um he got into that space and then we read that book together in that contained space and so and he looked really settled which is really nice so I was like okay great and then we didn't read the whole book because it wasn't a really big book it was kind of one of those um cardboard pages where they're quite thick and you can turn them but 
I wouldn't catch him the whole time. Like, I, not, and not every song caught him either. Like, every rhyme caught him. So I ended up, I don't know, I can't remember exactly why I decided to, but I ended up putting him on the log and then, which is our, we call the log our bolster swing. Um, and he then wanted to sing those same songs that he enjoyed in the Lycra on that swing. And so that's what I did. It was I was just really, it was a really cool moment because I was starting to give him movement rhythm and I was all sitting down in front of him kind of where he could really access me easily visually. And I could add some level of, um, I guess, novelty or rhythm through the way that I would give input to the swing through his body. And then, and he could also join me in that we could sing together. So I don't know if that answers your question. And the log swing was going backwards and forwards. So he's approaching you and withdrawing in the rhythmical way. So he was coming towards, coming away, coming yeah, towards. Yeah, And did you both sing together? Like, did we he did. know the words? Yeah, he knew the words. So he, and it was, I would always offer him the choice of which song, like which song was it? And I would open up the book or I'd, uh, he would pick the song and then I'd be like, and I'd open up the book to that page like, this one. And he was like, yes, that one. And then. I was able to also, because at that point, not pumping a swing super robustly by himself either. Um, But yeah, so I would be able to sort of give him some rhythm around the timing of the swinging to that song specifically as well. Mm. So not just swinging the swing, but just how, or even just bumping on the front of the swing with some rhythm. And then we would sing together and, and, you know, voice modulation in terms of loudness is very loud, but it, it just looked a lot more organized than I had seen in mm. the rest of the session. So it was like this clear mark of, oh, this is where I'm getting it. I need to not have any, I guess, reservations around doing this with him. I need to be able to go there and do that. Even though in the back of my mind, I know everyone in the waiting room is like, probably thinking what is going on in there and then you know or just if there was someone watching being like how is this therapy but it was so clearly his best moment in that session that I was like you I just have to go here because this is where he looks the most organized and so I need to continue to follow this with him so that's kind of how it I came across this moment because I didn't start with deciding I was going to sing songs um, so I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, I think it does. I, I just appreciate that in allowing him to explore his what might be interesting, sometimes kids have this internal wisdom around, I need something that is familiar and simple and that and I don't know you know we're not I'm not reading his mind to know that that's why he picked that book but there was something familiar about it that helped him to to share that moment with you but then your ability to enhance the vestibular repetition and the rhythmicity and help him to find a rhythm that settled him and as that settling happened, you were also maintaining the shared social moments of the exchange of the song and we're doing this together. So you're kind of crafting this really important moment for him where the sensory motor world is coming together, the social world is coming together, a shared task 
um, that isn't like this explicit goal, like we're going to sing three songs together, but it, we're in a moment together and we're sharing it. And it's enhanced by your ability to offer equipment that allows for that enhancement in the first place, but then also to do it in a way that really is building toward a shared moment. So those shared moments, and because of his, you know, the layers of this guy, knowing that you're working on shared social reciprocal moments is an important thing. But what that does for him is it organizes him so that you can start to have an unfolding of a more prolonged, you know, sharing. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. been really tricky for him because he tends to be so flitty in his attention that he doesn't hang on and he mm -hmm. doesn't hold on and he doesn't stay put. Mm -hmm. So now you're starting to help him find hang on and, and stay put, hang on and stay put. In the Ayers literature, Dr. Ayers identified that you know, this hold on and stay put is kind of one of the very first adaptive functions that allows for higher level capacity to start to unfold. And so I think your discovery of that with him is really a seaming up of, of what he needed developmentally. And it's just so cool that you know, I mean, I think it's one of the joyful things that I love about the therapy that we do is we find those moments with kids and, and they could look to anybody else like, yeah, whatever. But there's such um, the, the essential qualities coming together in a particular moment are the things that his nervous system is looking for. And that's what allows him to then, oh, oh, I want to repeat that with you. That was pretty cool. And the d hooking into that internal motivation to repeat that and to share that with you and to enrich that with you is really where the, the real hook into neuroplasticity is. And that's really what you're doing. So it's really fun to hear you describe it. And yeah, just to know that that's what's happening for him. It's powerful. And he's is that the hook into, I guess, where executive functioning can start to really emerge, that when he has that hook in, that motivational bias that has him, oh, I want more singing, I want more of that, then it, it, that the shifting away doesn't occur as much, therefore attention builds, his capacity to stay with. Is that what we would refer to as attention? That's... that's precisely what it is. So in the spirit tool, we get to executive functions through um, an affective function that's quite high level. So in the, in the terminology of the spirit tool, we call that the high route of the A function mm -hmm. of S, A, and M. Um, but motivational bias is where the system exactly pulls you. It, it, it's kind of um, the function that we attach our bootstraps to, that we pull ourselves forward mm. from. And so if we have kids who have this motivational system really switched on, it's a lot easier to mm. then start to, to see that their attentional capacities are going to sort of unfold. So the executive functioning system is actually quite a complicated system. 
And it's complicated because it has cognitive overtones, but it also is deeply emotional, Mm -hmm. and it draws from the sensory and affective and motor systems as the as the kind of threads that weave it together. And so it's a really complicated system. And when we have kids like this little guy who don't have all the bits and parts that make up the attentional system that, that help it to come together, you, you do have to, in treatment, it can feel chaotic for a moment until you kind of find where is it that resonates for this child and so for him what was resonating was sharing a moment with you and then you could reinforce that moment by giving him connection and rhythmicity and movement in a in a repeated pattern that allowed him to then just stay with you and that stay with you function is really made up of a bunch of different executive functions. So we'll I'll just name them, but we don't have to go into too much detail. But I think one thing that's really tricky for this guy is that stopping. So mm-hmm. in the technical phraseology of executive functioning, we call that inhibitory control. Mm-hmm. But that ability to kind of hook into stopping and hold on to that stop signal um, is pretty pervasively hard for him from a cognitive perspective, from a social, from a sensory perspective, from a motor Mm. perspective. So inhibitory control is a really essential skill. It's this kind of being able to consolidate around that stop signal and and this the inhibition i'm going to sort of my nervous system is going to help me stop um when you stop something for a lot of these kiddos they can lose track of what it was that they were interested in or what it was that they were engaged in so that's a working memory problem and you can Mm -hmm. see these two things kind of competing with each other in his day-to-day chaos where he's interested in one thing but he can't stop the other thing he was doing or he's so interested in something that he starts to do it and loses track of the fact that he was doing something else Mm -hmm. um and so you these core executive functions of of working memory and inhibition or inhibitory control are often things that we can just see kind of going awry when we're treating kids. And the thing that's tricky is that just saying words to describe we're working on this or or stop doing this to do this doesn't really allow the system to sync up. So while this is a pretty high level system, it really depends on the shared motor synchrony and the shared social experience to start to catch its key elements. And, and once those key capacities are available, then we can start to build on them from more of a language-based perspective or a cognitive perspective, but if we don't have anything to kind of hang on, then those words end up being pretty empty, and that's what happens for kids like this, is that if they don't have anything to hang stop on, then helping them to stop doesn't really help them to stop. So we have to sort of generate it more internally. And that's what I think you're doing such a nice job of in in this session is is helping him to get the key bits to start to have any semblance of something to work from. And then once you 
start to have that capacity, start to have a even a minimal level of, of appearance. And so what's been pretty elusive to him up until now is going to now start to really catch some traction because you have some working bits to work from. So I am just trying to put this together. It, the sensory motor relationship rhythmicity timing piece that I was doing in that moment, and I've continued to sort of do that over sessions, that gave him access to the inhibitory control Mm. through the motivational system. Is that right? So we've got the in higher out of a, in my mind is sort of like the more cognitive parts of the brain that are involved in what am I interested in? What am I going to stay with? Mm. Because I'm interested in that. But I came to that part because I, I knew he was he ha- already had a drive for social connection, mm. but then I paired that with his his sort of ner- how his nervous system resonates with rhythm and timing and predictability, and then also some of that my just being aware of his postural control not being great. So sitting in the place that I knew he could find me easily, and then also giving him the rhythm through the sensory motor piece allowed him to do the stop and stay with for a longer period and of course the first time it wasn't very that long it was there but it and and that's where I noticed oh I've got you I've hooked you in and is that are you saying that that is the foundation for then the building blocks for then more executive function so I need to be able to have the inhibitory control around the things that I'm interested in stay with longer is that what we're saying here? Or? Yeah, so for for many, many times that is exactly true. And I think that's true for your little guy is that even when he was interested in something, he would flit away from it. Yeah. So, so that the motivational system and the effortful control system, which is a partner in the executive functioning network, we'll put in the show notes a, a, a little visual that's been created um, by a consortium of researchers to describe this because I think it we're talking about a lot of concepts here mm-hmm. and so that visual will probably be helpful to take a peek at but yeah so when kids are feeling motivated by something the 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 desire to stay with it that persistence control and grit and I want to do that again I want to repeat that again that starts to be the driver that helps you to say, I want to repeat that again, and I'm not going to do that other thing. Um, so very often when kids are going through the emergence of this, this is when they get really interested in something, like they're building Legos or they're coloring or they're reading, and they forget to go to the bathroom because they, they're, they're so engaged in this higher-level skill that they kind of lose track of their bodies a little bit, and they lose track of tuning into their interoception or other cues um, and uh, and they can sort of lose you know they're so motivated that they're overly motivated and yeah. and that can also be something that we end up having to work through in in time and you know over time um so yeah this hooking into I'm interested in that so I'm gonna not pay attention to the thing that catches me, um, is a really important, you know, set of skills. And we see it in little kids starting to 
kind of assist them in building that, I'm going to stay with this, I'm going to stick with it, I want to try it again. And you'll hear kids use that language of, let me do it again, or, or watch me again, or I want to go again, or it's that kind of repeated motivation that is so critical to hook into and to help to build. And then the attentional system is like, oh, I can do that longer. I can stretch longer. I can hang in here for a longer bit of time. And so I can keep my focus. And again, it can get kind of sticky where kids are like, I'm so drilled in on this. I'm just paying attention to this. I'm not going to be flexible and I'm not going to shift my attention. And so there's lots of little bits of this that for kids that need intervention, we have to kind of work through all of those processes because they tend to each be a little sticky in and of their own. But what we what the spirit tool can help you do and what clinical reasoning, just thinking it through can do, is to say, what are the skills that are available right now? And what does it look like like this child is really working on? What does it look like is the thing that is hooking them into the next higher capacity? And so with this guy, as you help him to, oh, I want to try that again. I want to do that again. I want to repeat that with you. I want to have fun with you doing that. Giving yourself to permission to do that, to just say, okay, let's do that again. That was super cool and fun. And as you do that, his ability to, oh, that worked for me. Paying attention for, you know, three minutes is a lot more fun than for 30 seconds. And so that success warrants a lot of progress. I love looking at what would that um, motivational bias is for him, but I'm also uh, I want to make comment that the things that are tricky for him, so that staying put physically, that action regulation. Corey helped contain that a little by popping him over the log swing with a little, you know, hanging on in front of him, legs abducted, a little bit of flexion in there. You helped provide some inhibitory input I guess that that helped helped him stay put I think also in terms of having nursery rhymes like he loves having a good chat and has lots of ideas that he like you know and he likes to talk about that so having nursery rhymes which you know he presented to you um, aren't they wonderful yeah that contained his words it allowed him to speak but it kept him on task and on topic so that he I guess was in had some inhibition around um verbally um where he often can be impulsive verbally and and as well as um physically so, so you were kind of doing the both. You were working towards what he's really motivated with, but you were noticing, I know you just didn't pick that log by chance, Corey, <laughs> that you were um, helping with the inhibitory, facilitate the inhibitory functions that were not allowing or restricting him somewhat to stay put. And then he... Yeah, totally. And... and- the extra element to that, you know, in that position, I also made sure that the log was at the height where he could just like touch the ground still, mm. because I knew that that wasn't going to be helpful without having some level of like still being able to use my feet to 
mm. to stable, stabilize my body. But you're totally right in that that swing gave him containment in terms of the motor action system mm. because getting off on and off that swing is n- not easy for him. No. So once he's on that swing, it's like, oh, yeah, now I'm here and I'm anchored. And then, But then I, it was also I know that swing, if you're sitting on it like that, I can give you really nice linear vestibular mm. input and that's also going to help anchor you. Mm. And then also I'm going to sit below your eye level because and kind of right in front of you. So I know that's going to help mm. relationship anchor you and then... And stop those eyes yeah, flicking and, off. And they do. That I mean, at our most recent session, you know, you can still... Like he's they're still, they're still moving away and in and out of that, but... Gosh, it's so much longer. Yeah, it's but you've so faci- you've set it all up so it's easier for him to come back to you rather totally. than he's run. You know, he's yeah. literally out in the waiting room yeah. or he's on the loft. Um, yes. So I so I think it's both. It's that bias and then and helping yeah. add elements that facilitate that inhibition to stay there. so they, that yeah. it's even if he thought oh I'll go over you know when his eyes go off and look out the window which they do yeah. you know multiple times is that even if he has that eyes over oh I'll look out the window there's a there's a pause there where he might want to do that but because he, you've positioned him his body doesn't do that so he's not bumping into action dysregulation yeah and and he's anchored enough in all yes. the other stuff to then go to then show the inhibitory control of seeing something else and then remembering, oh, I was in this thing. Like, this was fun. I'm going to come back to this. Mm. And so it's really cool, actually. Like, just now I've had that revelation of, man, he's doing that, like, bicep curl of inhibitory control so many times. Mm. Like, just that I'm looking away, I'm orienting to this little toy, and now I'm coming back to you. Mm. And now I'm looking away and I'm orienting to this toy, and now I'm coming back to you. And it's really, really cool because that's me helping support that attention function for him for, oh, I can do this longer and I can stop and I can come back. Because like, that's a really cool stop for him. Mm. Um, so thanks for helping me see that, guys. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> that's exactly it. It's like once you get to those core bits you really identify it's almost like that neural exercise you know how am i strengthening the bicep how am i strengthening the attentional control stop come back stop come back and doing that where he's driving it where he's using his own capacity because you've set the scene for him to be able to anchor into it and use it and it's just so powerful so I'm glad that those dots connected and that that clarity comes to mind. And then it, those are the ahas that we all need to to guide our treatment. So that's Otherwise, beautiful. you can dismiss it and think, "Oh gosh, these nursery rhymes." You know, like I've done this a few times now. What yeah. what am I doing? Or you know, think, yeah. "Oh, oh, the pressure of oh gosh, he's I, ten. I, I shouldn't be doing nursery rhymes anymore." Yeah, or or um, not seeing the not really clearly seeing where the actual work is happening Mm. because you've met, you know, you haven't, unless you really um, stop and reflect and think about the fact that that's the thing that's building the capacity, Mm. then you, um, you don't see the value in staying there. You haven't been, you can't really identify the fact that staying there is so helpful until, and I'm sure it starts to, expand right and then you and that naturally starts to unfold in its complexity in the way that that 
begins to show up in sessions mm. and I, I shouldn't have to push like or enforce that unfolding. I feel like it's just, it'll start to um, innately or develop kind of, it'll come about as we go through. And I feel like it's just starting to now in the lo- and in it session. it already has, had. I guess, um, how I was doing that three years ago was I, we had to be in the um, rainbow lycra together sitting with a, one of the layers as the roof and I would be just in the opening. Similar thing, we would use um, kazoos and he had an item of choice in there. But he wasn't able, once we came out of that space, yeah. he wasn't able to stay with. So um, there's been a massive leap that you're in this big open room with a massive enticing window yeah. to look out and he's staying with where before he was only able to do that if I really visually occluded the area and had big effect and I yeah. was really close. So I was, you know, in that mother space, you know, perhaps half a metre away from him and I was big and juicy so what we can see over three however many years yeah is that he's in an open big invite space but he's still got that and that you've moved so far for much further away from him yeah which is really cool like because I don't know where he's come from you know you can see it you can see it and then and and you're like (laughs) woohoo like (laughs) look at that um so I don't know. It's it's really cool these kids show us these things because I don't think I've ever had it um so clearly progress and and I I guess it just also highlights the value for me in following the thing that you know resonates with their nervous system because if I had too many reservations around oh you can't sing the wheels, can um, I wheels say, I saw Corey yeah. seeing wheels on the bus with gusto like she's at a concert. Oh, Bob the Builder. She air punched <laughs> Bob the Builder. It was like she was at some. I was. You were there. I was totally you in it Bob. because he was so in it. And it's so exciting to me. I don't know. My nervous system absolutely loves those moments <laughs> with these kids when you find those things and you can see it like written over their face of, the joy and just the, I don't know, like this is just hooked you right in and I'm here with you. And it's just like, it's just like a fun journey to be part of as the therapist, you know, like it's, and so that's where my like juice comes about because I'm like, oh, look at you. And I get to be part of this. Well, and, you're in it too. Let's oh, be honest. Oh, totally, <laughs> as in, but like, I'm like fully vibing off his vibe, you know, and i don't care whatever that takes if that's bob the builder i'm totally in there i will go there with you i will do bob the builder um and yeah it i guess that's part of my own profile is that it doesn't take much for for, for my nervous system to feel like oh this is cool like you know well, i can delight in in the things that are childish which is probably just like super helpful <laughs> yeah but it's also super cool because the this work is so so spectacular because in the moment with the child where you just really get to have these resonant uh, joy and just really it's just so gorgeous but then we get to do clinical reasoning where we understand why we're doing it and we yes. get to do it again on a different yes. level so yes. that's very fun totally oh this has been such a helpful discussion um, I think we should totally talk more about executive functions because there's so much like 
it's complex like in terms of what you were bringing up today Tracy those terms and I know there's so much more for me to refine around understanding all of those higher level capacities how they start to come together Um, I feel like it was a really good introduction for me just around that high route of a and the effortful control and how that's supported by motivational bias I feel like I started to get a sense of that today Mm. and then how we can sort of as a therapist where there's gaps or or like any sort of challenge in terms of the sensory motor coming together the postural systems the if you can start to just find that little bit of traction in those things with what they're interested in you can start to see more of this effort for effortful control and the inhibition like Mm. the inhibitory control around staying with you and staying with what's needed but yeah we could definitely move to those kids that that get stuck in the I want to stay with this so yeah I would love to talk more about all of that well thanks guys what an awesome episode can't wait for the next one great to be with you guys again thanks Joyce bye this podcast is brought to you by Seed Pediatric Services and Developmental FX for more information please go to our show notes on our website spiritedconversationspodcast.com or catch us on our Seed and Developmental FX Facebook or Insta pages. So grateful to have you with us for this episode. Take care and we'll see you next time.